Well, today we're going to continue in this series called A Better Way to Live that Joe started last week. You know, there are certain proverbs that contrast one way of living with a new way of living. And so we're calling this a better way to live because the Proverbs we're looking at this month and in a few weeks next week, uh, next month, talk about a better way than what we sometimes choose. For example, today we want to talk to you about a better way to live. It's a life of love. I've been thinking about my fondest memories from life. And I don't know about you, but many of my fondest memories of life are concentrated around a table eating with people I love. Sometimes it's a special occasion that calls us together. Sometimes it's a holiday. And some of those memories are just normal, everyday occasions where you're sitting down with people that you love, your family or your friends, and you're enjoying times of sweet fellowship. I was thinking about Donna's grandmother. We called her Aunt Coma. She lived in Hayhired, Georgia, in South Georgia. And I met her for the first time when I was just a young teenager, even before I knew Donna, my wife. And I would often go over to see Aunt Coma. And I would come into her modest little home. And if I showed up, no matter what time of the day or night, no matter if she knew I was coming or not, she would always say the same thing. Son, you sit down right here at my kitchen table. And I'm going to make you a cup of coffee and some fresh apple tarts. And Granny would sit there and she would either have them already made or she would make fresh apple tarts. And I remember sitting at her kitchen table one day saying, Granny, this is the best cup of coffee I have ever tasted in my life. And she said, well, honey, it's just Maxwell House. And I said, no, Granny, I think it's more than that. I think it's the love that you put into everything you do. There in this modest little home with a senior adult saint of God, drinking a simple cup of coffee and eating an apple tart are some of the best memories of my life. And it wasn't because of the fancy table or the fancy food. None of that was there. It was because of the love that I felt from that dear woman. I don't know about you, but I'm sure if you think about it, there are many of your fond memories that you have at a table with people you love. And it doesn't matter how fancy the food is or how fancy the place settings are. When you've got love at that table, you've got something that money cannot buy. But we also probably can think of wonderful, beautiful, delicious meals that have been absolutely ruined by strife and by hatred. I remember one wedding that I officiated, and I, I actually stayed for the reception uh, after the wedding. And this couple placed me at a table with some of their family from out of town. They didn't know me, I didn't know them, but I could not enjoy this sumptuous meal because this one particular older couple kept fighting each other. They were mad at each other, they were talking bad and rude to each other, and it absolutely ruined the meal. I was so happy to get in my car and to go home. I just didn't want to be around that kind of animosity. Listen, I don't know about you, but sometimes in life we have to remember to value what really matters. And what really matters in life 
is what's in your heart, not what's on your table or what's in your garage or what is in your bank account. What really matters, what is really valuable is the love that you have in your heart for other people and the love that you feel from other people to you. If you've got love, you've got more riches than you could ever imagine. In fact, in, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 17, we read this pithy statement of wisdom. And this is what it says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. I like the way the New Living Translation paraphrases it. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. <laughs> and I think that is certainly true. In those Old Testament days, the average person did not sit down to a meal with great meat. The average person only got meat on special occasions. Typically, the everyday person would sit down to a bowl of vegetables. They would sit down to a, a bowl of herbs. If they were from the south, they would sit down to a bowl of collard greens. And they only got good meat on special occasions because that was so extravagant in those ancient days. And in that occasion, the writer of this proverb, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he said, if you have to choose, it would be better to sit down to a bowl of vegetables with someone you love than a filet mignon with someone who hates you, where there's strife and animosity and division in your relationship. Because he understood as being someone who had it all. I mean, if you know anything about David, King David's son, Solomon, who wrote or compiled most of these sayings of wisdom, you know that he became one of the most wealthy people to ever live. He, he was a man who was rich in wealth, rich in wine, rich in wisdom, rich in women. He had a, a bunch of wives and a bunch of concubines. And later in his life, he says to someone who accumulated everything that everybody else would say comprises the good life, he would say to us, those things don't make you happy. Those things don't make you rich. I tried it all. If you have to choose, it's better to choose love and poverty than riches and animosity and strife. And he's true. He's right about that. What's in your heart is far more important than what's on your table or what's in your garage or what's in your bank account. The love that you have for other people is far more valuable. And listen, I think some of us need to be reminded of this. We, we get in this spirit of this, this where we don't feel passionate or we don't feel like we've got enough whenever we're scrolling Pinterest or we're scrolling Facebook or we're scrolling Instagram and we see what everybody else lives like. And we start comparing what they seem to have to what we have. And sometimes we become envious and we become jealous and we can't even enjoy what we have. But look around. Some of the most miserable people in the world 
have a lot more than you do. And if you could, you would not want to trade places with them. Now, there's nothing wrong with having both. Ricky, I want riches and love. I want to, I want to have both. That's great. But if you have to choose, choose love every time. Because love is something that money cannot buy. In this world, can't take away. And love is what we need. Money is not the only way to be rich. In fact, it's Charles Bridges who wrote in his book on Proverbs, riches and poverty are more about what's in your heart than in your hand. And I love that statement. He says, riches and poverty are more about what's in your heart than in your hand. And I think what he meant was is if you are the poorest person in the world and yet you've got love, you're actually richer than most people could ever imagine. And the opposite is true. If you are rich and wealthy in the things of this world and yet you don't have loving relationships, you're the poorest person in the world. And I don't want to trade places with you. Now that begs the question, if we're talking about love, what is love? I know one little boy said, love is that feeling you feel when you feel a feeling like you've never felt before. And I think, I think sometimes that's kind of how we define love. Love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. Love is often defined as a strong affection for someone or for something. And there's certainly an element of emotion and passion about love. But would it surprise you that whenever you come to the Scriptures, the New Testament does not define love so much as a feeling, as an action. It's described as how you behave and how you treat other people. In fact, what I'd like to do is take you to that famous chapter on love. We call it 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the New Testament. And in verses 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul talks about love. And I find it interesting that he doesn't talk about love as something that you just feel. He talks about love as something that you do, a way in which you conduct yourself and how you treat other people. And I don't want to bore you with a grammar lesson, but whenever you're reading this chapter in the Greek in which Paul wrote, he is writing these verbs, 15 verbs. He's writing them in the present tense. He's saying this is how love habitually behaves. This is how love treats people in the here and now. And the reason he's giving us his thoughts on love is because he wants us to evaluate our lives. He wants us to evaluate our relationships. If you want to know what love is, this is it. This is what love looks like. So are you a loving person? Is this how you treat other people? And if you're in a relationship and the person says, I love you, you can test their love by asking the question, do they love me like this? And if this is the kind of love you've got for other people or the kind of love you receive from others, then I don't care what's on your table, what's in your garage, what's on your back, what's in your bank account. You're a rich person indeed. And you ought to value this love and cherish this love and protect this love and cultivate this love. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse, verse 4, Paul begins by writing, Love is patient. He says, you want to know what love is? Well, love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love endures and hangs in there and doesn't quickly give up. Love is patient with problems. And love is patient with people. And those are the two occasions you're going to have to be patient. 
You're going to have to be patient with problems. And you're going to have to be patient with other people. Being patient means that you go at the speed of another person. That you don't put them on your agenda, your timetable, your time frame, but you're patient with them. You give them room. You give them space. You give them time. And love, love is not short-tempered. Love is long-tempered. Love is patient. And then he says, love is kind. The word in which Paul uses for kind as we translate it in the English it means to be tender-hearted. It means to be compassionate. When I think of kindness, I think of leveraging my life for the good of your life. I do something that helps you. I do something that is compassionate to you. I do something that meets a need in your life. I do something for you that shows you I value you. That's what it means to be kind. In this world needs a little more loving kindness. I don't know about you, but I get discouraged when I see how people treat one another. If they see a difference in that other person, in their lifestyle, or in their religion, or in their politics. People can be so unkind to one another. But that's not love. Love is patient, and love is kind. Love leverages its life for the good of someone else's life. Love is patient, love is kind. And he continues in verse 4, love is not jealous. Love is not jealous of another person's happiness, nor is love jealous of another person's success. If another person's doing better than you are, love is happy for them. Love doesn't resent them. Love doesn't envy or is jealous over that person. And love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love doesn't think too highly of itself. Love is not boastful as if you are better than someone else. Love recognizes we are all flawed people. We are all sinners saved by God's grace. And the only thing I can be boastful about is not my great righteousness, but Jesus' great righteousness that He has loved me with. Love is not jealous or boastful. And then he writes in verse 5, or rude. Not only is love not boastful, but love's not rude. It's not demeaning in its talk. Love is not vulgar in its talk. Love does not put people down. Love is not inappropriate with people through our language or through our actions or the way that we treat another people. Some folks are just flat out rude in what they say to other people and what they post on Facebook or in how they flame spray people as a friend of mine puts it on Twitter. They just flame spray. They're just rude. They're just mean. I remember, I was, this tell you how long ago it was, I was going up to the mall, the, Art, the uh, Regency Square Mall here in Arlington. And as I was walking towards J.C. Penney entrance, I noticed a woman behind me. And so I kind of sped up my pace just once or twice, and then I got to the door, and I opened it, and then I stood so that she could go in. And she looked at me, and she said, let go of that door. I can open my own door. Thank you very much. And I thought, how rude. 
do you have to be that you can't even accept a simple kindness? And so I let the door go and walked in ahead of her and let her have her way. But some people are just flat out rude, and that is not the way love treats people. And he continues in verse 5, it does not demand its own way. Love is not self-centered. Love is not insensitive to the needs of other people. Rather, love is others-centered. Love is sensitive to what another person feels. Love is sensitive to how another person thinks. Love is sensitive to what another person wants. And love does not consistently demand its own way. It's my way or the highway is never said by love. Love makes room for other people. And love is not irritable. That means love is not easily angered or short-tempered. Love is not easy to fly off the handle. Love is not quickly and continually grumpy and in a bad mood. And love keeps no record of being wronged. Love doesn't get historical. You say, you mean hysterical? No, historical. Where love doesn't bring up every bad thing you've ever done throughout the entirety of your life. Some people are good at that. They love to constantly hold it over your head. Any mistake you've made, any flaw that you've had, any sin that you've ever committed, any time that you've ever failed, love does not keep that record of wrongs. Love doesn't have it in its back pocket ready to pull it out to say, see how terrible you are? Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Verse 6, he continues, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Paul is writing that love has a proper sense of what is right and what is wrong. And love does not rejoice in wrong. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness or injustice. Love doesn't see that another person is hurting and suffering and then gloat over it. And wish ill on that person. That's not the way love responds. Love doesn't rejoice over injustice, but love does rejoice when the truth wins out. Because truth helps people. Falsehoods and injustice hurts people. And truth is about, love is about truth. And he continues in verse 7, love never gives up, love never loses faith, love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Paul says, if you want to know what love is, love is also dependable. That it's stable. It is not the fickle love that we often exhibit in our relationships. That I love you when you do this, but I won't love you if you do that. No, love is dependable, not fickle. I remember when I was a young person in our church in Lake Park, Georgia, the pastor was preaching on love. And in the middle of his sermon, one of his family members, an old gentleman, Mr. Dollar, stood up in the worship service. And he said, no, Pastor Stanley, I told Miss Dollar when I married her, I loved her. And if I ever changed my mind, I'd let her know that too. <laughs> and the whole church just started laughing. And you know what? 
Love is dependable. Love doesn't just say, I love you if, and I love you because, and I love you when. Love is faithful and dependable, and it's there for the long haul. And that's what love looks like. And listen, if you've got that, you've got something far more valuable than maybe what other people think. No, you may not have as much money as they have. You may not have the nicest house that they have. Your, your meals may not be as extravagant as theirs. You may not be able to dine at the finest restaurants in the world. But it would be better to sit down and eat a bowl of vegetables with people you love. Like this. And people who love you like this. Than to sit down and eat a steak with people who hate you. People who don't love you. No matter how they... Talk, if, if they don't treat you like this, they don't really love you. Now you look at that list like I look at that list and I go, uh-oh, I don't love perfectly like that. In fact, none of us in this room, none of us in this world love perfectly like this. This is the standard. This is the ideal. This, this, is, this is the goal that we ought to be striving towards. But none of us are going to be perfect in loving like this. This side of heaven. In fact, there's really only one person who's ever lived who loved perfectly. And his name is Jesus. It's no coincidence that in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, that we're told that God is love. And it's no coincidence that we're told in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, I think it's verse 23, that Jesus was named Emmanuel which being translated means God with us. So think about that. God is love and Jesus is God in flesh with us. And Jesus, therefore, is the perfect embodiment of love. Jesus fleshed out what love looks like in how He treats us. Often whenever I read this passage of Scripture in wedding ceremonies, I will then say to the couple, as you think about how you need to love one another, you can't look at each other as the perfect example of love. You're two imperfect people. But you can't look to Jesus. In fact, you can replace the word love with the name Jesus because the Bible says God is love and Jesus is God with us. And so you could replace the word love with Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or rude. Jesus does not demand His own way. He is not irritable. He keeps no record of being wronged. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Jesus never gives up. Jesus never loses faith. Jesus is always hopeful. Jesus endures through every circumstance. Jesus never fails. That's the standard of love that we should look to and emulate and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I want to be more like You. You've loved me like this. I want to love other people like this. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the one who gave us that command. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Listen, Jesus wrote... A new commandment I give you. Put that next scripture up there. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also 
are to love one another. And then he says something very powerful in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, this is how you are to love. Not love like other people love you. Well, that's how they treat me, so that's how I'm going to treat them. No, no, that's the wrong standard. The standard, Jesus says, for love is you love each other like I've loved you. Like I've fleshed out for you. My selfless, sacrificial love. You love that kind of love. And by that kind of love, the whole world will know that you're truly my disciples. Well, won't they know that we're the followers of Jesus if we go to church on Sunday morning? Won't they know that we're followers of Jesus if we wear a cross? Won't they know that we're followers of Jesus if we vote a certain way? No. Jesus says, here's how the world will know that you're truly my disciples, my followers. People who are seeking to learn from me and live like me. They will know it by how you love each other. The world will know, husband, that you're really a follower of Jesus, not by just your declarations of love for your wife, but your demonstrations of love for your wife. The world will know, ma'am, that you're a follower of Jesus and that you've committed your life to Him, not just because you say it, but because you show it. Teenager, your friends will know that you're a follower of Jesus, not just because you're here in church this morning singing songs about Jesus, but because you're loving people like Jesus. That's how the world will know that we are the followers of Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I see some people in their social media, I don't see followers of Jesus. Because I don't see that kind of love they have for each other. And we can't help how the world acts and how the world talks and how the world treats other people. But, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, then, then I'm going to let you off the hook here because Jesus is talking to us who are His followers. This is not an option for us to love like this. This is a command of Jesus. This is how you will love. Love like I've loved you. And by that love, the world will have a witness that you're my disciples. This is not an option. It's an obligation for followers of Jesus. Because it is absolutely hypocritical for me to say, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you love me with a 1 Corinthians chapter 13 kind of love, but I'm not willing to give that kind of love to someone else. That's hypocrisy. People who have been loved by Jesus ought to love like Jesus. And here's where we can make a decision. You can't control how another person loves. You can't. You can't force another person to love. All you can do is be responsible for how you love. In fact, I said to the staff whenever we were talking about these Proverbs, and I said, here's something that just keeps ringing in my heart as I read these Proverbs that contrast a better way to live versus how the world often lives. This statement just keeps ringing in my mind. I can make the world better by making my world better. 
I can't control everybody else in the world. I can't control what politicians do. I can't control what other people do on social media. I can't control how other people treat each other in their relationships. All I can do by the grace of God and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ is say, dear Lord Jesus, because you've loved me like this, help me to love other people like this. And I can make the world better by making my world better, my friendships, my relationships, my family relationships better by trying to love like Jesus. And I believe that will make our world a better place. Will you love like that? If you're a follower of Jesus, let's love like that. It is better to sit down with a bowl of vegetables with people you love than to eat a steak with people you hate. Let's be people of love. And listen, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here's why you ought to. No one has ever loved you like Him. No one ever will love you like Him. He knows you the best, all of your faults, all of your flaws, all of your sin, and He loves you the most. And He didn't just declare, I love you. He demonstrated how much He loved you by dying for you on the cross of Calvary. And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Will you today put your faith, your confidence, your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Receive his love into your life and become his follower. Do it today. I'm going to lead us in prayer and then I'm going to let you go. And maybe today in this prayer, you'll rededicate your life to Jesus and loving like him. Or maybe for the very first time in your life, you'll commit yourself to Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you today for this reminder of what a precious, priceless thing we have when we have love. And we thank you for the picture of what love looks like and how love behaves. And we thank you for the perfect example of love that we find in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, who went to a bloody cross and He died for us. And He rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we could know what love is, and so that we could not only experience His love, but we could express it to others. And Father, I pray that for every follower of Jesus in this room today, they would recognize that even though none of us are perfect in loving like this, we are perfectly loved by You. And because of that, there's no condemnation, no guilt or shame, All we should feel today is your love that convicts us and motivates us to say, Dear Lord Jesus, having loved me like this, help me to love other people like that. And so, Father, would you help us to rededicate ourselves to being people of love in our daily relationships. We can make the world better by making our world, our personal relationships, better. And Father, if there's anyone in this place today or anyone watching or listening online today who needs Jesus, I pray that right now they would say to you, Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner, but I thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, your son, to die for me on the cross and take the punishment for my wrong. And he rose from the dead. And out of love, he gives me forgiveness if I will simply trust him. And I do. I trust him today as my Lord and my Savior. Help me to learn more about him so that I can follow him and live for him by his grace. Father, we love you and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.